0: On a sunny day in May, 2021, we had the incredible honor to interview Dr. Jay Shu, the first Chinese-American to head a major museum and the first Asian-American museum director to be elected to the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. He has a substantial background. He worked at the Shanghai Museum in China, the Metropolitan Museum in New York, the Seattle Art Museum, the Chicago Art Institute, and he has been CEO and Director of the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco since 2008. Meeting him was really fun because he is so down to earth, he is very comfortable with who he is, and he has so much knowledge. Here is Michaela and Jay's interview with Dr. Jay Shu. susan brown i'm Michaela joy o'shea and i'm jay ye you're listening to beyond the fog radio our podcast about the untold
1: stories of san francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it whether you're new to san francisco or have lived here your entire life join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay
2: One of the interesting things that I learned about the Asian Art Museum was that it used to be a library. And what I also really love about museums in general is that the building itself is like a piece of mosaic Architecture is mosaic even a word? No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So you walk around the Asian Art Museum looking at this beautiful architecture and then, oh, look, look at this artifact. And everything is very quiet in there. Each piece of art is given almost a whole wall. And I think that's really unique about the Asian Art Museum which also makes it incredibly photographic being a wedding photographer I've sh- photographed many weddings there and that is pretty much my full experience of the art museum and that staircase when you have when you say your vows in the middle of the staircase and the lighting it just creates this incredible atmosphere like no other place and it's not only special for those reasons but as we're going to find out Dr. Shu talks about bringing communities together and it's just a place of people of all walks of life can congregate and just be at peace with themselves in this amazing incredible building in the middle of San Francisco I love it how about for uh, you Jay what's your experience with the Asian Art Museum
1: so growing up in san francisco we used to take field trips almost every year to the asian art museum the de young museum and the california academy of sciences thank goodness they all exist because it really made school fun and going to the asian art museum at that time it was in golden gate park attached to the de young museum so you would go into the De Young Museum, go through all of the different other countries and different art from different places, and then you go into this whole wing, which was the Asian Art Museum. Come to find out that it was started in the 60s, mainly donated by a millionaire named Avery Brundage, who had a huge Asian art collection. So we got to see all of that collection. And it wasn't until after high school that the Asian Art Museum expanded they had too much art that they had to move and they moved to what was the san francisco main library and i have had the opportunity to go a few times as an adult for some pretty amazing shows and it's really cool to see what they've done it really creates a whole new environment for what is now the asian art museum
0: to have all those buildings right there in civic center and to have that the asian art museum be as beautiful as it is it's just a wonderful place to be.
3: Indeed. I was born in Shanghai in the early nineteen sixties. So I learned that the English expression I would say I was born bred. Somewhere, right? I think I never got to eat some serious bread until I got to this country in 1990. Mm. So I would say that I was born and the rice in Shanghai because I grew up eating rice and the rice porridge. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, born rice. I like that. <laughs> I like that too. That's good.
2: <laughs> That's good.
1: <laughs> That's true. The bread is here. Yeah. It? yeah.
3: But, that you know, help. the Shanghai I left behind was a very different city than it is now. So there has been tremendous change in Shanghai, but I really you know, feel so fortunate, as well as proud that I have made an American life in 30 years.
1: That is the American dream.
3: That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> That's
1: true. And you, where you are in your career, is, like I said, a trailblazer. Did your parents want you to be in this industry?
3: Um, that's a long story, mm. but talking about the trail blazing, I think I'm only at the beginning of a very meaningful trail, and I hope that what I do can pave way for people around me and people come after me. I feel very proud to be the first Chinese-American who run a large arts museum in the U.S. But on the other hand, the very mad fact that I'm the only one And a Chinese-American has been in this country for so long. Itself means how much more we need to work on the situation. So that's my first point. The second is that I feel I'm lucky because at every station of my life, there's somebody there to give me a chance, give me an opportunity. Of course, it started with my parents. Not exactly my parents wanted me to be an art historian. You know, sometimes there's still this... uh, stereotypical understanding of Asians. They want to be in science and being, you know, in, in, in be a lawyer, be a doctor. And, but at the same time, my parents are very supportive of whatever I chose to do. I think that is the most important form of love. Absolutely. So I actually started my museum career in Shanghai after college graduation in the famous Shanghai Museum for seven years, then in 1990, I came to this country to pursue my PhD at Princeton University. So I had always been in the museum business, now for nearly 40 years. And so at every job leading to San Francisco, there are either teachers or colleagues, mentors or friends who supported me and give me critical support. And that is something I feel most grateful about. Again, in my own due course, I hope that I will be someone for somebody else as well. So I think that's very important. And sometimes, you know, my friends would kill me. they say, Jay, all you knew how to do is to be working in a museum. Sounds like a very one-dimensional profession. i say, you're right, but... <laughs> Dare I say it, museum is a hub of humanity. Why do I say so? I can define it by two dimensions. With that, people from all walks of life come to visit the museum. The second, maybe a vertical dimension, that people throughout the economic ladder come to museum. Museum is everybody's home. I cannot think of many other professions can truly call itself a hub of humanity. So even though museum is one type of profession, I feel that I'm constantly interacting with the community as well as visitors from everywhere else. So I think this is, I feel so passion driven, so inspired by my job. Of course, our museum is a world-class institution about Asian art and culture. Absolutely.
2: Do you think that comes from your interest? I read that your background is also in anthropology.
3: Uh, Archaeology.
2: Archaeology, as well as art history. So do you think that this is kind of your unicorn job of all of your passions of people and art and all of that?
3: Yeah, I think uh, you're right. I'm always interested in history. And that has something to do with my family background. When I started to go to museum in my high school days, I did not really appreciate the work as works of art. I would more appreciate them as relics of historical times. And I could look at the object and then imagine with those historical novels, say, and so on and so forth. Of course, I did not know. Then, you know, through working in the museum, I learned more and more about art and the history around them. And so I getting more into uh, knowing about archaeology. And at Princeton, of course, I had very formal trainings in both art history and archaeology. But to me, what I really care the most actually is the word contemporary. So sometimes it may be surprising. Your archaeologist studying ancient times, how could you say you but you care the world mostly is contemporary. Because to me, everything is lively. Everything has a life potential. No matter how old an object or a thought was made, it has tremendous potentials awaiting us to awaken it. Or depending on what kind of questions we bring to it, what kind of perspective we bring to it, or what kind of needs that we have in our life today that we can learn from history. So in this regard, our experience of everything, no matter the thing made today or made three thousand years ago, is contemporary. Art is always relevant to our life today. That is what I meant by contemporary. So by studying archaeology, ancient art, I learned a lot not only about people, life, society of that time, but also their relevance to our life today. And now in our museum, we have launched a major dimension of contemporary art. And not only contemporary art from Asia, but also contemporary art of Asian diaspora and Asian American artists. So I think that's what we can connect the two. So I feel I'm so lucky that I get to lead along with my team, this is a wonderful institution to really bring it into the 21st century.
2: There's some things happening in the world at the moment. And I saw on your website that the Asian Art Museum is very much a platform for sharing about Asian American culture. And especially with the racism that's happening right now. And do you mind talking a little bit how you are a voice for San Francisco and and for the Asian American community?
3: Yes, absolutely. I think I I love the opportunity to talk about it. I think uh, our journey fighting for social justice has been consistent. I remember very, very painful episode when George Floyd was murdered and the museum came out very strongly in expressing our anger and in expressing our support for Black Lives Matters and our active participation in fighting against racism of all kinds. Fast forward to more recent times with the tremendous upsurge of anti-Asian racism and the violence, the Asian Art Museum once again in the art museum space, wants to play a leadership role in that. Fundamentally, let's say, art must be relevant to our life today. Art is an expression of who we are as human beings. So asia museum is a platform to voice our common desire through artistic expression, as well as through verbal expressions. So that's why we came out very strongly with a message on the subject of anti-Asian racism. And not only we do this, we are a member of the San Francisco Bay Area family. That's why we mobilized many, many other arts organizations, many of which are more general, not necessarily culture-specific. But I think we are all in this together. Because one racism against any particular segment of society is a racism against all. But particularly on the anti-Asian racism, Asian art museum must be in the forefront because we're Asian art museum. And the one way that we can do it the most effectively, in addition to voice, raising our voices and partner with other organization, is to really activate artists' voices. You know, Asian art museum traditionally has been focused on historical Asian art. This museum was not founded about Asian American artists. But being 21st century, in my view, will require us to be a leading platform for Asian American artists. And this is not only the need of the time. We have been working on this for the last 10 years. Soon after I came here, one thing I realized is actually there's a very little platform for Asian-American artists. Partly because Asian-American community is still on the margin, a marginalized community. If you look at the general museums, whether it's the folks on American art in general, or the Encyclopedic Museum of Culture and Art all across the world, you have feel very little representation of Asian American artists. Except for very few. I would say almost tokenized. At the same time, when Asian countries or museums, when they organize American art show, they also don't tend to select Asian American artists. When we people think of America, somehow Asian American did not come to the image as a sort of a natural element of the American community, and that is the problem. And we want to turn the problem into an opportunity to really enhance the understanding, appreciation, and promotion of Asian American community and Asian American artists. I think that is our opportunity. I always say Asia has become an essential part of American life, economically speaking not culturally and artistically. So some people, for example, looking at our museum say, great Asian Art museum, it's a niche museum. It's a specialty museum. And I beg her to differ. First of all, the arts and the culture that we represent are the results of the 60% of the world's population. If we talk about niches, it's the largest niche there is, right? Yeah. The second is that the Asian-Americans, for this country in particular, the contribution by Asian-Americans is deep and broad. But historically, it has been not properly recognized and celebrated. So that's why I think our museum as a platform is so important. But we do this hand-in-hand. Hand. We celebrate Asian-American arts hand-in-hand hand when we celebrate historical art from Asia, as well as contemporary art in Asia, because it's a continuum. And the Asian Museum, in this regard, internationally speaking, to me is really to evoke the image of a Golden Gate Bridge. As a bridge of exchange, mutual understanding, and sometimes, again, I like to use the term hub. We have hub of connections. Often the case when people Describe our location, they will say, Asian Museum is located, you know, it's uh, in California, west coast of the United States. Absolutely right, nothing wrong, right? But I say, don't forget, life is all about perspectives. I also want us to remember and think about it we're on the east coast of the Pacific. So, in this regard, we're a connecting dot in between, right? So we're, we're between an ocean and a continent. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. So it's all about perspectives. Yeah. So that's why I think I was feel so fortunate that I got my commission, so to speak, and uh, this wonderful job in a place that is unique in American history, and at the same time, most vibrant for its innovation. So it has very deep history all across this aspect of humanity, but particularly Asian-Americans, chinese American, for example, and because I'm ethnically Chinese, but also, you know, Japanese-American, Filipino-American, Korean-American, all kinds of Asian-American, and with the most recent, the Indian-American, which plays such a large role in the Silicon Valley. So this is a really wonderful melting pot. So right place, and I feel also I'm at the right time, even though our society has so much problem, and those problems will once again expose the bear during the pandemic, during the upsurge for racism. But I think our museum can play a wonderful role in not only joining forces with other organizations fighting the racism, but also celebrate the wonderful power of healing through art. And through celebrating our communities and and bring everybody together. So our ambition has always been Asian for all.
2: I'm very curious about when you started here at the museum. What was your first ambition when you got the job here? What was already happening at the Asian Art Museum, and then what have you brought to the Asian Art Museum since you've been here?
3: Since my own research specialty is in Chinese art, and by extension, Asian art in general, I was very familiar with this museum's collection and its international reputation. Of course, I did not know much more than that, but the content of the museum and its international standing is familiar to me. I went through quite a few different jobs, and sometimes my friends are joking that I like to move between shores. <laughs> so I started in the East Coast and I went to the West Coast, Seattle, yeah. and then to Sh- Chicago. You know, Chicago has a nickname called Third Shore. Oh. <laughs> because Lake Michigan. Right. You probably have heard of Windy City, but the, another nickname is the Third Shore. <laughs> There's a <laughs> beach there.
2: There's a the beach. <laughs> exactly. Right like in downtown
3: Chicago, very rare. Oh, beautiful, beautiful city. Then, of course, Asia Museum beckoned, and I came here to the Pacific coast again. So throughout these jobs, I learned and observed. And one thing I really realized, that the, being a museum director, you are in a unique position to shape the direction for an institution. But of course, everything you do must be based on consultation, based on really good listening, to really getting to know the institution, its people, the community. But in the end of the day, the director's mission is to come up with a vision of how to museum lead forward for the next 10 years, 20 years. And this is what people hide you for. So that is also, I feel, it's very exciting. It's, of course, I'm a little bit intimidated, but probably you can tell that I'm not a particularly shy person. <laughs> <laughs> I love challenges, because it always comes with opportunities as well. To be able to direct such a wonderful institutions and move it into the 21st century, and that's the opportunity I cannot refuse. So my first mission, both I was talking about myself as well as expected of me by our board and staff is to develop the vision. To crystallize it is Asian for all. To broaden our audience pool. To grow deeper our roots with the Asian American communities in the same time serving all the people. And I really can, another way of talking about this vision, you could really crystallize into one word. Because I learned as a, director who often the case have to do fundraising and I fundraise with gusto (laughs) and sometimes there's such a thing called elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. So I can crystallize my vision for you with one word and that's the word of connection. It's all about connection. What do I mean by that? Three dimensions. Connecting art of the present with art of the past. Archaeology to contemporary. And all experience must be contemporary, no matter how old the art may be, or how new the art, so that's one connection. The second one, explore Asian art's global relevance and the connection. The Asian art did not exist in cocoon. Asian art and culture has tremendous global relevance. Starting here, the contribution to America. The making of America has a lot to do with Asian immigrants, Yes. right? Hundred percent, and and uh, so that is very important. So, but also global as well. We heard about this, such a thing called Silk Road, and we also heard about things so-called maritime trade, and so on and so forth. So, explore and celebrate Asian art and cultures' global relevance and connections. The second dimension, the third, if you combine the two, really connecting art to life. Everything do everything we present, everything we celebrate must be relevant to our life today. So I think this is what our vision is. So that we will have a legitimate chance of really helping integrate Asian culture into the mainstream American life and make it an essential part of what we call America.
2: What has been different since the Asian Art Museum moved from being attached to the de Young Museum when it moved over here to the Civic Center. Were you here then?
3: I I was not yet there. I was uh, lucky enough that my predecessors uh, did a monumental job of moving the museum (laughs) here. And five years later, Mayor Brown inaugurated this new home for Asian Art Museum in year 2003 and I came five years later, okay. 2008. But you may also say, you know, I'm both lucky and a little bit unlucky in the sense that sometimes I say I either took this job with best sense of timing or the worst. But three months into my taking on this job, the worldwide crisis took place. And immediately there are financial challenges for every organization, particularly not-for-profits organization, but for our museum in particular because we have our own unique financial challenges. So the media said Asia Museum is in big trouble. And the one newspaper, I must say, erroneously, gravely erroneously, said Asia Museum is about to go bankrupt. So I have to solve this problem, of course not by myself, but right. with my board and the staff and a very close partnership with the city hall, the city leader at that time, our mayor, Gavin Newsom and then the Board of Supervisors. So we successfully solved that. And from that point on, that we can really launch the vision that I laid out for our organizations, and which are leading to, we're about to conclude this episode of transformation and launch into the next episode. I think there's a very clear distinction between the way we're in the Golden Gate Park, which is a wonderful setting, to the Civic Center. Because here, the very reason we call this place Civic Center, because the city is a center of civic lives. We're across City Hall from the plaza. We're looking at each other, right? And our f- home was used to be the public library. So, and this is a place where people congregate. So I think this is, signifies and underscores the central importance of our museums for our community that it's a part of the center of civic life. I think that we're very conscious of our locations, and we want to celebrate this. So being urban, of course, you are also more in the intersection of different aspects of life. On the one hand, San Francisco, for example, is in the cutting edge of innovation technology. But at the same time, the San Francisco also has tremendous challenges. We still a long way from finding good solutions or really take good care of our homeless population. We're right next to the tent lawn. And this is a place that has tremendous challenges and issues. And how we at the Asian Museum, being a member of the community, do our service is a very important question for us. So we have been coordinating and partnering with tenderloin organizations, such as the school and the community centers to provide our know, services and so on and so forth, and this is, what, this is the least we can do. And also, we are in the middle of a library, law school, other performance arts organizations, so we're very conscious of our location. So I think, in some way, Civic Center is a microcosmic representation of San Francisco in a very concentrated manner. And we need to look at very clear, cool-headed way of the successes and the failures that we call our home, San Francisco.
2: I know that the pandemic you've been closed, but are you holding courses for, for kids, for the community, or are you going there and teaching about the history of art? How, what does that look like?
3: Actually, in the pre-pandemic days, we have the closest relationship with San Francisco Unified School Districts. Because if you ask me what's the nature of Asian art museum or any museum, i say it's a platform of education. If I may say from birth to, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's always a lifelong learning journey. Sure. But particularly for school kids, every year, San Francisco Unified School District celebrates its Arts Festival in Asian Art Museum. My team told me about this three or four years into my job. I immediately say, "Let's offer to host it and see everything's there." And now, during the last year during pandemic lockdown, one thing that most vibrantly done in our museum, among by my team, is the online classes for school kids. We oh, have wow. two kinds of docents. One is a regular docent for the more adult audiences. The other is called storytellers for younger kids. And the storytellers have become extraordinarily popular during last year because they provide a wonderful storytelling classes to smaller kids. And in doing so, not only to keep them informed, interested in learning about Asian art and culture, but also give their teachers some downtime to prepare for other courses, other works. So that has been a program that is oversubscribed. So even though we physically close, we have turned this museum into a virtual museum. For example, I believe that I was told that our Instagram posting or following has been grown like 400% or plus. Wow. And so I'm really proud of my team. Our educators, our curators, our marketers and communicators, and everybody else. The whole team is holistic.
2: Congratulations. Thank you. That's yes. great. Yeah, yeah, you really... And
3: I, because we're always asking questions, how can we do better in serving our community? How can we do better in providing more values? I think this is a constant question that's guiding us particularly nowadays that we, you know, we want to be more vocal and conscious and through artistic voices as the means, in asking and working for a more just society. Diversity, inclusion, equity, accessibility.
1: Like you said earlier, Asia represents 60% of the world's population. You could probably do a whole museum on just one corner of China or just Shanghai alone. How do you curate all the different arts from different countries, different cultures in one museum?
3: You ask a uh, questions. there's never going to be a perfect answer. That's why the question is so good. It's impossible to be exhaustive on the one hand, our collection as a world-class collection of Asian art does cover a very broad stretch of Asian cultural areas. We have seven cultural areas across the entire Asia continent from Japan in the east all the way to the Middle East. But as you say, Asia is so big and history is so diverse and so long. And there are no actually such a thing, one thing called Asia. Asia is made of uh, hundreds of... Uh, hundreds of communities and culture and history, so it's impossible. So what we try to choose is always those topics that are most relevant to our life today. For example, we did a wonderful ancient art exhibit called Yoga. Conventionally speaking, you will go into a room, have wonderful masterpieces of sculptures made of granite or other types of stones, with a very striking iconography of Hindu deities practicing yoga. But for the general public, these images may be familiar or, often the case, not familiar. So how to connect this to our life today and make it immediately relevant is through the means of yoga as health practice. We know yoga entered into America maybe in the 1950s through San Francisco and then became very popular health exercise. I read somewhere, the statistics is that one every 10 Americans practice yoga. Sorry, I belong to the nine.
0: <laughs> and, uh,
3: yeah, wonderful. I'm going to follow your example. And uh, so we organized yoga sessions. We organized, we wow. invited yoga studios to bring a real life element into this exhibitions. And we also invite people write out verbally or in, you know, note cards their experience how yoga developed in San Francisco Bay Area as a health exercise. So their audience had a real chance to participate in documenting an important episode of our community. So in this regard suddenly there's a tremendous relevance not only to respect for the historical art but also their life relevance today. But in doing so we also want to educate our audiences that yoga has tremendous historical relevance. It is not an esoteric exercise. It is something deeply molded by religious pursuit. So we want to engage our audience, particularly those passionate about yoga, understanding the real meaning of yoga so that when they go on, continue to express yoga, they will have a deeper appreciation and the respect for the religion and the cultural heritage represented by those historical artworks. I think that is very, very important because when we celebrate other cultures, we often case, we need to be very mindful. We don't treat it as something readily available or we only treat it as on a superficial level. So that would be called appropriation. What we want is to engage people have a real, deep, authentic understanding. And another show we did is called uh, On the Theme of a Lotus as a Symbol for Love, as San Francisco was celebrating 50th anniversary of a Summer of Love. And we were very cognizant of the fact that there was a flower by a protest, I think it was daisy, put into the gun barrel of uh, National Guard. The flower as a symbol of love is so powerful, Nonviolence, So that's why we wanted to focus on that because the sum of love, the whole movement had deep roots in Asian culture, art, and religion in the 1960s. So that's why we want to celebrate this. Not only do that, Asian Museum had a Guinness World Record because we made a public call for people to volunteer to form the largest ever human formed flower of lotus. I think we got something like nearly 2,500 people. This is our once and only my first time ever experiencing Guinness World Record. They really send a team, because you have to monitor how you count people. For example, you have a lot of people and then some people leave. Once oh. <laughs> all people leave, you, you cannot keep them as part of your account. So you have like a turnstile coming in and turnstile the other way. Make sure you count everybody in, but also you, you, know, you deduce the people who had to leave. And then once time comes, you have to tightly form the Lotus for like a certain duration of time for the picture to be properly taken. So way were. I don't know if, if uh, any other museum, but the Asian Museum had a Guinness World Record. And then to give you a third example, just very quickly, we celebrate the world-famous Terracotta Warrior, right? And everybody knows about in China the Great War and Terracotta Warrior. So besides a world-famous identity, what's the relevance for our life today? So we focus on the theme of immortality. The first emperor build his tremendous Muslims with his life-size armies, in order to pursue immortal life beyond this one. So our idea is that actually no matter how great or how humble each of us is, we always have a chance to leave our mark for the humanity, for the history, to attain our own immortality. If you're a teacher, you achieve your immortality by helping grow the best students. If you're a social worker, you achieve your immortality by correcting social wrong and helping saving people's lives. And if you're a technologist, you invent something that everybody's life can no longer go without it, then you achieve immortality. So if you do your best podcast, you achieve the immortality. Mm -hmm. There we go. So we want everyone to see. (laughs) Yeah, we look at the show, think of how in my own way I can contribute to the society in doing so, leave my mark and attain my own immortality. As my parting thought, I would like to invite everybody not only to visit the museum inside, but also the outside. We have turned the museum inside out. If you walk around the Heidi Street, we see three wonderful murals by three Asian American women artists. They're all very poignant, they are all very powerful, and their theme is absolutely essential and relevant to our life today, to our common effort to fighting for a more just society. So please come to Enjoy Asian Museum, support what we do, and also give us guidance how we can do better.
2: Still thinking about Dr. Shu and our interview with him, I was completely captivated by his presence, his enthusiasm, his knowledge, his love for humanity, his experience, and his energy. He was a joy to be around and he. Made us feel so comfortable. We were all a little bit nervous, I think, to interview him, because he's kind of a big deal, as you found out. Very much so. (laughs) But he made us feel comfortable right away. And I just love talking to him. I think we could have sat there all day just hearing all of his stories and all of his viewpoints on the way that art is contemporary to what is happening in humanity at the time. And I think that's so important and really important to hear and think about and... I could go on and on more about him, but I won't. So, so Jay, what was, what was it like for you? I have, I think you have a f- similar experience, huh?
1: Well, first I like that. His name is Jay. <laughs> yes, you do.
2: <laughs> we do too.
1: <laughs> Looking back at how that interview went, I noticed that each person who's come a long way in this case, Jay Sue as a trailblazer in his industry, there's always a message behind what he's sharing. My biggest takeaway, art is always contemporary. Even ancient art at the time it was made was contemporary art. And no matter what time period you're now experiencing the art, it's contemporary to what life is like now. So art is for humanity for all time. And that was the biggest takeaway for me. The second part was the museum being the center hub of humanity, where it doesn't matter where you come from, what demographic, what background... Museums are a place where people can learn about themselves and about humanity. It was just a great conversation to be a part of and to have met Dr. J. Sue that way.
3: He
0: is such an elegant man and so kind and so humble and cares so much about people. When we arrived, I was expecting him to be really formal And I can be around formal people, that's not a problem, but I was expecting him to be really formal because of his background, and he was the opposite. He was completely disarming and just great. And my job that day was to photograph, but I completely, when he walked in and sat down, I stopped photographing because I was so interested in what he had to say. So it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview, and we're lucky that we experienced and had a a chance to experience interviewing him.
1: So, Michaela, tell us about our social media and how people can check out the photos and what that day was like.
0: Yeah, check
2: out the photos that Susan took on Instagram and also on Facebook, which is at Beyond the Fog Radio. And then that's not all. I want to also give a shout out to our amazing team here at Beyond the Fog Radio. It's the three of us that produce these podcasts. But most importantly, it's also our audio editor, Connor Chang. Bisha Rose works all of our copy, and Tim Johnson did our web, our website. If you haven't seen that, it's pretty great in my opinion. And then my other half, Tim O'Shea, is our theme music composer, and I think that's pretty great too. So Susan,
0: okay, Beyond the Fog Radio is available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. But the most important thing is is that you subscribe. Because we want to keep this going. We want to keep telling you the amazing untold stories and the stories by the Bay. So, subscribe.
1: All right. And thank you again for listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. And until next week, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.